When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The NHL trade deadline is fast approaching, Friday, March 8th, and you're going to want to be following the SDPN because we have some excellent content lined up for you. No need to sit around in front of a TV all day. When a trade breaks, the SDP will be posting immediate reactions. Then after all the wheeling and dealing is done, stay tuned for our special SDP trade deadline review episode. And as always, the SDPN is where you need to be as the deadline approaches. The Chris Johnston Show is tapped into all of the latest rumblings, and Basu and Gaudet have all of your Montreal Canadiens updates. So tune in. Friday, March 8th, the NHL trade deadline is going to be a ton of fun, and the SDPN will be all over it. Follow us on socials, smash that subscribe button on YouTube, and get excited for some massive deals. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. CJ, let's talk about Elias Patterson. We saw reports over the weekend that the Canucks were taking calls on him. People in Vancouver freaked out. There's been a lot of talk about Elias Patterson and his future, but it seems as if the winds are changing a little bit. There's been reports now that uh, significant progress has been made on a contract extension for Elias Patterson. What can you tell us about Elias Patterson, his contract situation, and the Vancouver Canucks? Well, the biggest piece of progress is that he's willing to talk uh, because until now, you know, where all the speculation emanates from ultimately is just this feeling of uneasiness or the unknown because Elias Patterson didn't want to engage in contract discussions through the season. And, and to be fair and to his credit, he's been consistent about that since last summer and, and hasn't changed his position, at least until the last 48 hours here. But the Canucks, you know, I think we're getting uneasy with that weight. Obviously it, it leads to media and fan speculation, lots of noise in the marketplace. We heard Rick Tockett mention that he's a human being and might be weighing on him. Uh, and so, you know, where the biggest piece of progress has happened is as of Tuesday night and into Wednesday, Elias Pedersen gave the green light to his agent to, to have a discussion with the Canucks and for them to engage on this extension. And, and the reason that alone is the, is the piece of progress here is that I think the Canucks are highly motivated to get him signed. They're well aware of what the market for a player like him is. And there's no reason to think that with now some momentum going in the talks that they can't just run it across the finish line and, and basically take care of that big piece of business, which will secure you know, a big chunk of the Canucks future and amid this great season the team's having. I mean, obviously, from ownership on down, the Canucks want to have as few distractions as possible, want to put this team in the best position that it can be to, to have success. And, you know, they've had a bit of a bumpy ride here since the All-Star break, at least compared to where they were ahead of time. But, you know, I think they're still in great position to, to you know, have a playoff run and, you know, chase what they're trying to chase. So, you know, I think that the breakthrough was the the fact that Pedersen's willing to stay because, it, you know, until he indicated a willingness to talk as much as he could say publicly, you know, I want to be here. You know, I think that there's at least a question, well, does he really want to be here? Is there an ulterior motive? You know, that gets removed with, with his agents now at, at the, the bargaining table with the Canucks and, you know, they're, they're uh, 
know, they're going to make him a very rich man, I think, here in, in the next little while if they're able to to find agreement on this contract. Exactly how rich, CJ? Well, I'll point you to the William Nylander situation, and it's it's the same and different at this at you know in equal parts. You know, William Nylander was was going to be an unrestricted free agent on July first until the Leafs signed him in January to his eleven and a half million uh, extension over eight years. I think that that's a pretty good base starting point for where the Pedersen contract's going to go. What's a little different in Elias Pedersen's situation and why I think he was saying, why do we need to rush through this is next year is a restricted free agent year. The Canucks still own his rights for next year. He wasn't able to go to July 1st and just sign with any other team. I mean, he, he could sign an offer sheet, but of course in that case, the Canucks could match, but you know, he didn't have the full UFA status and, and you know, those RFA years are valued differently when teams and agents hammer out these contracts. And so I think, I'm pretty confident to say this contract's going to end up above the Nylander number, but how far above might be restricted a little bit because it's not a pure UFA deal. And so if you say the seven years that are UFA years are valued at what, 12 million a year, maybe next year is valued at 10 or 10 and a half. So that's, you know, 94 million over an eight year contract. I mean, 1175, 11, eight, maybe he gets it to 12. I mean, certainly I think if the player has, a specific number he's dying to get. He could get it there uh, because I do think he's got a lot of leverage in this situation. He's having a great season. Uh, obviously the Canucks have been eager to get this thing done and, and get to, um, you know, this, this big piece of business put to bed. So, you know, I, I think it ends up above Nylander, but maybe not as far as some out there have said, because I think they're overlooking the fact it's not a pure UFA deal. Uh, one week away from the NHL trade deadline. Do we expect any more business from Patrick Alvine? I think it's possible, certainly. I mean, the, the Canucks were among the teams, I think, that were keeping tabs on Chris Tanev before he was traded to Dallas. Um, you know, I, I don't think that they're in a position. There's, there's been, you know, some reports linking them to Jake Gensel. It, it doesn't seem like they're as locked in on upgrading one specific aspect of the roster. Keep in mind, they still got Phil Kessel skating in Abbotsford, and I believe he's he's likely to sign a contract with the team. So they're certainly looking for every little bit that, that they can find improvement. And I suppose that would be the answer from, from just about any team this time of year that that's, you know, headed for the playoffs. But I think in Vancouver in particular, they really want to make sure that, that they're in the best position possible to have a long playoff run. I mean, they've already made two reasonably significant trades, you know, getting Zadorov back in December and then the Elias Lindholm trade uh, over the all-star break. And so I don't know how active they'll be. I mean, Look, if they're able to get the, a new contract done with Pedersen, that, that's that's probably business enough for that organization. I think that they'll be pretty pleased if that gets put to rest and put to bed now. I mean, it gives them some longer term, you know, security too, or, or or at least clarity maybe is the better way to put it. If if they do sign them to an eight year deal, they just have a better idea of where their cap's going to be next year. You know, in a lot of ways, teams like to get these things done. Uh, as quick as possible, I think it, you know, with with their their best players, with their star players, obviously, just you know, it ensures that you have a the the core of a good team in place. But I think it also allows you to make other decisions down their lineup and roster moving forward. So you know, the 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 short answer is yes. I think the Canucks will be kicking around all these players. I mean, what's interesting, and and we can dive into this a little bit more, is is the trade market itself hasn't really taken shape yet, right? And and. So I think teams like the Canucks are smart to stay in the conversations just in case maybe some of the prices don't end up being as high as what we've seen in past years or what, what you know, we're anticipating heading into March 8th. And maybe there's a way to, to add a, a good player and you're not giving up quite the number of assets you would have thought. I mean, I, I would say on the surface, that's what it looks like in Dallas uh, for the, the Chris Tanev acquisition. I mean, from the Stars perspective, not giving up a first round pick uh, 
you know, they gave up their second round pick in 2024, but they're one of the better teams in the league. So that's a pick that's going to fall, you know, somewhere between what, 50 and 64, uh, basically. And, you know, they gave up a fourth round pick to New Jersey in order to to have the the, the contract, you know, the, the salary be reduced twice and, and the prospect. I mean, it's really not a whole lot if, if you're on the Dallas end of it. And, and I know we'll dig into this. I'm not being critical of the Flames. I think I, there's another argument for why this is not a bad deal for the Flames, but but certainly where the market for a guy that's been one or two on our trade boards all year long since since they, they launched in November, it's really not a huge return. Maybe that's a sign that we won't see quite as many first rounders change hands at this deadline. I think there was 12 first rounders uh, in, the, in the run up to last year's deadline. I'd be shocked if we saw that many change hands. And so teams like the Canucks or, you know, the Bruins, I'm, I'm just just top teams that maybe are a little worried about giving up too many assets or, or wondering about what they have left you know, might be able to swoop in here and get to some upgrades a little cheaper, you know, depending how the market goes. I mean, we, it's still, as I say, it's not fully formed, even though we're, we're within eight days now of the actual trade deadline. It's just not clear, you know, if, if, if the leverage is with the buyers or the sellers. I mean, it, on one hand, I'd say the buyers have a fair amount of leverage, but who knows? Maybe we'll, maybe no, none of these teams on the bubble will end up selling this, the Seattle's, the, the Pittsburgh's, you know, maybe some of these other teams will just say, Hey, we're not selling. And then, the, you know, then the prices go up. I mean, that that's, that's part of what we're, we'll be watching closely here in these, these coming days. Let's get into it because CJ was already alluding to the details of the Chris Tanev trade that sends him from Calgary to New Jersey, then Dallas. Uh, we'll, we'll focus more on the Calgary Dallas portion of it. We know uh, New Jersey will retain some salary as a part of this trade. But uh, Chris Tan of going to Dallas uh, with a uh, 2024 second round pick going to Calgary, as well as a conditional third in 2026 and left-handed defenseman Artem Gush. Uh, well, not left-handed, left-shot defenseman Artem Grishnikov, which uh, Craig Conroy very much into this player, young prospect, a uh, Dallas Stars draft pick. He's obviously at the center of this deal. He is, and 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 he'll probably be the deciding factor if we look back in five or 10 years and whether this was a, a good trade and, and, you know, look, we, we have to brand winners and looters. We do trade grades in real time. We're, we'll have winners and losers on March 9th. I'm sure you'll, you'll see that at the athletic and many other of our competitor sites, but it's, it's really hard to know. You know, I'd say on the surface, it, it is an underwhelming return because we know Craig Conroy was in the marketplace looking for a first round pick. Multiple teams were told by the flames that I'm aware of that, that, they they were going to need a first rounder in order to make a Tanev deal. And ultimately he makes a deal for a second rounder. Now, in addition to that, he's going to get th this prospect. And, and, you know, I'm not uh, certainly, I've never seen him play. I'm not Scott Wheeler. And, and I can't really comment too much on the specifics of, of whether that was a good decision or not. But if, if he becomes a player, you'll probably look favorably upon this return. If he doesn't, we'll probably look back and be like, well, it could have been a little bit more, but the market didn't yield that. I, I suppose there could be questions about whether the flame should have waited a little bit longer to pull the trigger. But you know, one thing I've been consistent in saying all along is you, you can't be dealing with multiple big files on, on March 8th itself. Like, like with, with Noah Hannafin still there with maybe some other decisions pending, there is kind of an order of events where it's, it's beneficial, I think to, you know, basically move off the player and then, you know, start fresh on the next file, because obviously you're dealing with multiple teams, multiple different dynamics uh, with each potential trade. And so, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, I think that that trade will be, I don't even want to say won or lost, but it, I think it'll be dictated how successful it was based on where the prospect ends up. And, you know, that's where Craig Conroy has got to rely on his scouts and those that have been watching this player play, you know, in, in for the Texas stars, he's in his first year of professional hockey, obviously 
the flames would have a book on him because he was only drafted in 2021 uh, from their amateur side as well. And, you know, I think, I think that's where it comes down to. I mean, it's, it's so easy to say, oh, a team got a bunch of first rounders in a, in a trade that that's a home run, but you know, quite often, if you go look back at what those trades become, I was looking at the, the Montreal trade to Florida with Ben Sherratt. It ended up being the yes. 31st overall pick. And, and that pick's only just been made. So I don't know if it was a successful one for Montreal and, and a prospect that didn't really doesn't look like it's going to amount to much for the Canadians. So on the surface, the Canadians got more for Sherratt as a, who was, you know, an expiring contract, similar type of player, maybe to Tanev a couple of years ago at the deadline, but I'm not sure the return ends up being all that much better, especially if, if, if Calgary gets a player out of it in, in this prospect. So that, that's, that's one way to look at it. And, and, um, you know, I can see why maybe there's some people questioning the decision, but at a certain point, I mean, it's, it's been no, 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 uh, how do I put this best? It's been no secret that Chris Tanev was available. There, obviously there's been a lot of discussions to get to this point and, and Craig Conroy went with the best deal he felt he had. We should mention though, the Toronto Maple Leafs probably could have made a better trade maybe on paper, but I, I just wonder if, you know, in this case that the flames aren't too eager to deal with Toronto. If there's maybe a little of a Brad tree living tax placed on any, any player that the Leafs might acquire from Calgary. I'm I've been wondering uh, and maybe this is just because of the fact that we're on separate coasts. I've been wondering if the Edmonton Oilers were interested, were that interested in flipping a first round pick for Chris Tanev. It's not that clear to me at this moment right now, but could you imagine if Craig Conroy was imagine all these teams that shown interest in Chris Tanev and the only team that's willing to give you a first round pick is your provincial rival. What do you do in that situation? I wonder how many teams were actually willing to flip that first round pick. I don't know that Edmonton was going to go there with a first rounder. I, my sense is the Oilers are going to trade their first round pick, but it's going to be for help at forward. Um, and so I'd be surprised if they, I mean, again, it's not that they don't like the player. I just don't know that from an asset management standpoint, that was going to make sense. I mean, ironically, there's always an Alberta tax. I mean, there's a reason why you don't, and, yes. and it's a tax-free province. Uh, but, um, you know, it's it's a... <laughs> You know, there's a reason we don't see a lot of Calgary Edmonton trades over the years. There's been a small handful, but it, it's pretty rare. I mean, similar to Toronto and Ottawa or Toronto, Montreal. I mean, you know, you don't see a lot of big Ranger Islander deals. I mean, it just it's it's a kind of a funny thing. As much as there's 32 teams, there's a lot of different personalities involved. There's those kind of regional things involved. There's ownership involved. And so it's not always just what is the absolute best return. I think that there's a few caveats built in there. And it just seems like you know, because the Leafs did have such, you know, long conversations actually on Nikita Zadorov too, you know, going back to before he was dealt to Vancouver and then, you know, the price on Tanev, the Leafs were told was, you know, a first rounder or maybe one of their top prospects like a Fraser Minton or, or Easton Cowan. And, you know, ultimately on paper anyway, it looks like this is maybe a slightly weaker return. Um, you know, look, that's, that's, that's the prerogative. I mean, I mean, the, the, the Flames had a long history of Bradtree living. He he left on his own volition, and maybe there might be some feelings left over somewhere in, in, in that building. I mean, if it's at that point and it's keeping you from making your return like that, that's, I got to say, that's a tough pill to swallow for Flames fans. Could you? I mean, no well, shade to, to the prospect that they ended up getting, but I gotta say, could you imagine sorry. if that was actually on the table? It sounds like that that was the price that was put to the Leafs. I, I don't think the the Leafs didn't meet that price. It's not as though the Leafs offered their top prospect and a first round pick or anything like that. It, right. It's it's you know that we should be very clear on that. The Leafs they didn't yes. they didn't put an offer on the table that was clearly better, but they were sort of led to believe the price was going to be more than what it ended up being. Um, 
and you know, they might not be alone in that. Look, the, ultimately it sounds like Dallas was very aggressive on the TANF file, you know, going back weeks and, you know, the flames prioritized that potential deal, you know, got a lot of eyes on, on the Dallas prospects and, and, you know, as they, they work through the, the trade conversations and ultimately he ends up a star. I mean, look at he's, I think he's a perfect fit for what the, the stars need. You know, they, they certainly need help on the right side. Uh, he's an improvement on what they've, they've had kind of in their, their middle pair, bottom, bottom pairing. And this is a team that, you know, isn't that far removed from a cup final run. I know it was in the bubble. We all kind of forget it, but it was only a couple of years ago. And then obviously played in the Western conference final last year and, you know, has star quality players at every position. So, um, you know, Dallas, I think this is a, this is a very smart swing by Jim Nill and, and, you know, he didn't have a lot of cap room to work with, but managed to fit Chris Tanev's deal in there. And, and, you know, I think that uh, it just makes a lot of sense from his end. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Craig Conroy doesn't get a first round pick for Chris Tanev. Uh, Brad Treleven gets Brad, Brad Treleven gets to keep his for now. Uh, Ken Holland gets to keep his for now. Maybe that goes for Jake Gensel. So maybe Craig Conroy gets that first round pick for Noah Hannafin. What about him? It sounds like it's a little quiet with Hannafin in the moment. That's not a prediction that it that nothing's going to happen or anything. I mean, there's still lots of time here for the market to develop, but you know, his situation is, is kind of unique in that he's, you know, he's younger than Chris Tanev. Obviously he and the flames had talked about an extension uh, quite extensively. And so, you know, I think it's reasonable to think that a trade involving Hannafin might have an extension as part of it, you know, kind of like we saw with Hampus Lindholm uh, a couple of years ago when he got traded from Anaheim to Boston and promptly signed an eight year deal. Wouldn't surprise me if similar machinations happened in, in the Hannafin case. And so it's not as maybe easy of a trade, a little bit more mechanics behind the scenes that need to fall into place. You know, I've, I've reported that, that the Tampa Bay Lightning have been interested. I still believe that to be the case now. Uh, the Boston Bruins, I think, have kicked around on Hannafin. Sounds like a couple other teams as, as well. And, and you know, certainly if, if, they're, if a team is acquiring Noah Hannafin with an understanding or even with an actual contract in place, a sort of sign-and-trade kind of scenario, you know, I would think at minimum you're, you're talking about a first-round pick coming back plus a, a, a bit more asset-wise. And so, you know, that's, that's still, that's really the biggest domino left to play here. It seems like the, maybe the window of opportunity with Jacob Markstrom and a possible deal is kind of gone. Um, you know, I suppose it could be revived still a weekend change here for someone else to get serious on that file and maybe give Calgary something to think about. But, but, you know, Hannafin is the last major piece of the puzzle, you know, who is a pending UFA and, you know, maybe a larger point we should underline here is, Craig Conroy was consistent, Julian, as you would know, right from the start of training camp. He wasn't going to let anyone walk away from the team that certainly among his most valuable potential UFAs. And now, you know, he's he's traded three of those players. And I think Hannafin will be the fourth um, out the door, you know, prior to the deadline, even though the Calgary has played well. I mean, it, since since the Lindome trade, you know, they, they've put a lot of points in the bank and, you know, hung in there in the Western Conference wildcard race. It's not inconceivable that they make the playoffs even after these trades. I know that sounds... A little, you know, it sounds like it's it's incongruent, doesn't make sense, but 
I mean, the way the Flames have played, it's hard to for me to say they're not going to make the playoff, but, but clearly management hasn't been swayed by the recent results and is looking at the bigger picture. Uh, if you if you account for Craig Conroy's work in the summer, you have to account for Tyler Toffoli getting moved as well, where they got Jaeger Sharon Govich in a draft pick. There's been a handful of pending UFAs gone, and Noah Hannafin obviously stands to be the next one in line on that one. Uh, one other question I want to ask, uh, not to leap back into the Toronto Maple Leafs, but with Chris Tanev off the board, are they still looking for a right shot D? Who else could they be pursuing? Yes. I mean, there is not a right shot D on the planet they haven't considered. Um, you know, it's it's a very glaring need in the Leafs lineup. It's It's been exacerbated of late because Timothy Lilligren's missed some time. He's a, a right shot on the team uh, with an undisclosed upper body injury. Uh, Connor Timmons, another right shot, is out with mono. And so the Leafs, in their most recent game against Vegas on Tuesday, drafted uh, a lineup with six left shot defensemen in it. And Sheldon Keefe, part of the game, even before seeing the result, which ended up as a 6-2 loss, said, I don't like this. You know, he, he's uh, of the mind that it's, you know, a very difficult thing for the team to overcome. And, and obviously, Sheldon wasn't speaking out of turn there. I mean, he, he knows what the Leafs' priorities have been. You know, at, at times, I think the Leafs have been considering even adding two defensemen. I'm not sure if that's still going to be the case. But certainly one defenseman who can play the right side, uh, you know, preferably someone who can play alongside Morgan Riley, I think, uh, would be the preference. Because, you know, TJ Brody has done that so admirably for years in, in Toronto. And, and this year, he just has not had as much success. He is a left shot who's very comfortable on the right side uh, historically, but he's, his results have not been there um, when he's played on the right side of Morgan Riley this year. Whereas, you know, when Riley was out with that recent suspension, on the left side, Brody and, and Lilligren as a pairing performed very well. So I think the Leafs feel as though if they could find someone to play alongside Morgan Riley, kind of like they did at last year's deadline, it ended up being Luke Shen, which most people wouldn't have predicted, but that that ended up being a dynamite pairing for them in, in the playoffs. And so that's where the Leafs are at. So who are they looking at? I mean, the, the obvious right shot defensemen that are still out there include Sean Walker from Philadelphia, uh, Matt Dumba in Arizona. I should mention... Both Philadelphia and Arizona wanted a first-round pick for those players. I wonder if that market changes now that you have the Tanev price in. And so it could even change the math in Philadelphia. I'll say this, that the Flyers, as much as like Calgary, have been have been committed to selling. You know, if you're only getting a second back for Sean Walker, you're in a wild-card spot as of today. Maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe that that return, you just think, you know what, we're wiser to keep him have them as kind of an own rental situation. I mean, that's, this is the, the sort of ways the market could shift here in this last week or, or eight days uh, before the deadline. You know, I keep your eye on Ilya Labushkin, who the Leafs, you know, acquired a couple of years ago. Um, oh man, I'm getting a call from a GM. Oh, straight to voicemail. That's rough. Wow. You just put him to voicemail. Jeez. Well, what do I do? We're recording. Okay. Are you, are you allowed to tell us who the GM is? No, that's is? not fair. Okay, all right. That's I mean, fair. like, I just I thought it was worth asking. I thought it was the worth person's asking. doing me a favor by returning a call, so I don't want to. I don't need to be uh, putting the receipts out online right away. Who, you know, we're gonna throw that into uh, one of the many mysteries of this show, right up there with Jeff Carter's middle name, which GM tried to call CJ during a recording. <laughs> but you know, when it when anyway. it comes to the Leafs, yes, I mean, certainly, I would be stunned if we got to you know, three Oh five Eastern time on March 8th. And they didn't have at least one more uh, defenseman capable playing the right side on their blue line in the fold. So, you know, who that's going to be, I think is still a bit of a mystery box. And, and, you know, I think the Leafs would love to maybe get even a player with some term, you know, it would be 
great if they could get, you know, pry an Adam Larson out of Seattle or maybe even a David Savard out of Montreal. But, you know, at this point, it's just not totally clear that those players are going to be available. And so, you know, that's, that's what Brad Tree Living and his staff are working through right now is just making the best decision. And, and, you know, they are not keen on giving up a first rounder if they don't have to. And the problem they have is they don't have a second rounder in this draft, the next draft or the one after that. And so, you know, they might be end up shopping in the bargain bin or they might have to part with one of their, their top prospects sort of in place of a first round pick. And, and so that's kind of where the dynamic is right now in Toronto. Uh, we might as well make this Leafs corner because I have Sheldon Keefe questions, All right. uh, specifically with him getting the game misconduct earlier this week against uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, I saw a little bit of the media availability afterward where he was asked about getting ejected and he did not want to talk about that. No, sir. Uh, he'll be getting fined, right? That's that's what we should be expecting with him. I would expect so. I mean, the league in September had all the head coaches at the GM's meeting in Chicago just before training camp. They showed a montage of about 20 clips of coaches losing their mind on referees. You know, the sort of stuff that goes viral on social media or, or you know, it's frankly kind of funny depending where you're sitting. But but the league made it clear that they don't find it funny and that they don't think it's in anyone's best interest to have coaches melting down on referees, dropping multiple F-bombs, what have you. You know, what's interesting about Sheldon is it's certainly he can run a little bit hot, um, you know, and he's been fined once in the past in, in 2022 for, for some, you know, the way he went at referees in a game in St. Louis just after Christmas time. Um, but in this case, by the standards of what we call a meltdown, I would say it wasn't really a meltdown, but clearly he had some choice words. He didn't like a penalty call on Mitch Marner late in that game against Vegas, and, and he was ejected from the game. And so th- this crackdown has happened this year. Greg Cronin was thrown out of a game. The Anaheim head coach in, in, in late October, he was fined twenty five grand. Um, you know, prior to be firing in Edmonton, actually Jay Woodcroft was ejected from a game in Vancouver for, for yelling at the referees. And I believe he was going to be fine. And, and the only reason he wasn't is, is unfortunately he was fired a couple of days later before that fine came down. And so he was spared by, uh, losing his job, so to speak, you know, in, in Sheldon's case, I'd be surprised if he wasn't fined. Although, you know, as of our recording now, nothing has been announced from the league, but it, it just seems to point in that direction because I think the league really is trying to send a message about keeping things civil between coaches and officials. And Maybe. I bet oh, I, I would say this, I haven't spoken to Sheldon, but I bet what he would say to you is he's in a disadvantaged position because there's, there's more cameras in Toronto. There's obviously more spotlight when these issues happen with him. I'm sure we could find multiple instances this year with, with relative ease where coaches have been far more animated on a bench uh, for another team that maybe doesn't get as much media attention. And those coaches weren't fine. Uh, what I was just going to say is uh, maybe the next phone call you'll get will be from the department of, well, you wouldn't say player safety. We'll put you, I guess the coaches association or something. I'm not sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Stay close to your phone, CJ. Um, one more trade thing, actually. I, I, re- I realized in that situation, I was either going to be hopping from Leafs to other stuff or trades to other stuff. I decided for the Leafs corner option. What about the New York Rangers? Let's do a pulse check on them. That's a team that's been looking for a center. They have at least been linked from when Elias Lindholm was available. Obviously, uh, the caliber of options not the same on the trade deadline now, but who could they be looking at? Well, I think that they're looking at some of the bigger names on the trade board. You know, it, it was noted that Pat Verbeek attended a Rangers game uh, here in the last 24 hours. And, and you know, I don't think... As much as I would caution on a previous episode about making too many conclusions about who's scouting which games, I mean, 
look, the, the Ducks have two pretty attractive forwards in Adam Henrique and Frank Vetrano. Henrique is a, a pending UFA, uh, can, can play some center. I think certainly has some interest from the Rangers end. And Vetrano, someone who's played for the Rangers before, is having a great season. I mean, maybe a little bit below the radar on a national level, but you know, 26 goals this season already. Always been a, a great finisher and, and someone I think that that fit in well in his previous tenure in New York and, and could make sense for them coming back. Um, you know, I there there's certainly though, I think going to add a forward at this deadline. Uh at least one. And and look, that's that's kind of in the DNA of the Rangers. I mean, last year they got Tarasenko and Kane. I don't don't know that those fit quite as well as they'd hope, but I mean, this is a team that's just won a ton of games lately. Um, you'd, you'd put in the class of that, that group that could, you know, get it together and, and win the whole thing. And so, you know, I, I'd look for those, that ducks connection to be, to be pretty strong because, you know, there's just not, there's not a ton of names beyond that. I think an in, more interesting name to other teams. Not, I don't, I can't connect them directly to the Rangers. I don't know where they stand on the player is, is Tyler Toffoli's name is, is, emerged here in recent days as, as a, someone who might be available with the devils, you know, kind of falling adrift of a, a playoff spot. They did have a big win in San Jose a couple nights ago, but I, I think that once this California trip is completed, uh, Tom Fitzgerald is going to take a real hard look at his team and decide maybe as much as this, they had higher hopes for this year and, and they do have tons of cap space. I mean, look, they were the third party team in the, in the Calgary Dallas trade picked up a fourth round pick for their trouble. Um, you know, maybe it makes sense to, to trade a player like Toffoli, who's having a great season for them, a player they really like. Um, you know, and so I know some other teams that have been scouting the forward market pretty heavily like the idea of a Toffoli. And so maybe I, I just wonder, I don't know if the Devils and Rangers are subject to that same uh, intrastate or intramarket tax, but, um, you know, maybe he could be someone they'd look at. But but I, I certainly think it's it's makes sense to connect the the, the Rangers to the top forwards available. And it does seem like there's, there's something cooking there with uh, the players in Anaheim. That'd be really interesting with Tyler Toffoli who began well, last summer was in Calgary. It seemed like he wanted to stay, but didn't get the contract demands. He wanted He wanted to stay there long-term. It seems like flipped to New Jersey. Could you imagine him going to a New York Rangers squad or just somewhere else? Well, that is an, an interesting last 12 months. Even if, if it gets there. And not point. to pivot back, but if it ends up being Adam Henrique, I mean, a lot of Devils fans still remember Adam Henrique pretty fondly, right? And, and you know, they would probably mm -hmm. be weird for them to see him in a Rangers sweater. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the reality of where we're at. I mean, in Toffoli's case, the Devils really like the player. They've actually had some discussions with his agent about uh, a possible contract extension. I think it's just you get to this point and, you're looking at the math and, and, you know, there's all kinds of reasons the team's underperformed, whether it's goaltending, whether it's the injuries they've faced. Um, but if you're realistic, it's like, okay, do we, do we keep, if we keep him, what are our odds of getting in? If we trade them, maybe they get a first round pick. Right. And I, and I think that the devils are not, I don't think it's unrealistic to think that Toffoli could yield a first round pick at this point in time. And that, that might actually have more value just in this moment with where the devils find themselves. And I think that's, that's what they're wrestling with. I don't, get the sense as of this moment that they've decided 100% they haven't declared him available, but they're certainly thinking down those lines. They've received interest from teams and, you know, they've, they've got a game in Anaheim and, and Los Angeles here in the next few days. And I think once they get through that stretch and look where they're at, um, you know, they're going to have to make a determination 100% one way or the other. Anyone else uh, bubbling under with a, a week to go ahead of the trade deadline that we should be looking at? I'm trying to squeeze out as much as I can on that. I front. want to give you more juice. I mean, look, I, I'd say look at a team like Seattle. You know, 
it sounds like what they've been telling their players that are pending UFAs is, you know, if we're in this race, we're, we're not trading any of you. Um, but you know, they've fallen back a little bit. I mean, it's so tight in the West. Like I'm, I'm not declaring them out by any means. I mean, they have a, the game in hand on a couple of the teams above them. You know, they're chasing a pack that includes Minnesota, St. Louis, Calgary, uh, you know, Nashville surged here of late. So, you know, Seattle, I think could be an interesting swing team, whether they trade their players or not. Cause you know, if, if they make their players available to market, you've got, you know, the likes of Alex Wenberg, Jordan Eberle, Thomas Tatar, maybe Justin Schultz, you know, those are all pending UFAs that they could move. And I think would spice up, you know, the, the available player pool a little bit, you know, Nashville is sort of an interesting case. Cause you know, I, I kind of had them as a, as a selling team, but they, they've really surged ever, ever since they canceled the uh, concert trip to, to U2 to the sphere. Um, they've done nothing but win games and put points in the bank. And now all of a sudden, you know, Barry Trotz is saying UC Saros is essentially off the market. You know, his pending UFAs like Alexandra Carrier, another right shot defenseman that I know Toronto and other teams were looking at. Sounds like they're inclined to try to extend him rather than trade him. Tommy Novak, uh, they're, they're trying to extend now rather than trading. And so this is, it's a weird deadline. This is a late developing deadline um, with a lot of teams that could go one way or the other. And so I don't, I don't have any more new names really to toss out there at this point in time. You know, I, I, we haven't talked about Max Pacioretty. I think, you know, there's, there's some interest around him in Washington um, and you know, he's, he's got the ability to control where he goes and I don't think he'd go just anywhere, but maybe that's another, um, player that, that, you know, seems to have gotten his feet under him a little bit after returning from, you know, second Achilles surgery, um, that, that could move, but, uh, it's, it's a tough deadline. It, it really is. Like, I don't want to, as much as I want you to watch trade center on, on Monday, uh, or sorry, Friday, March 8th, as much as I want you to keep listening to our shows. I mean, it's, it's, it's not as deep of a, trade deadline as we've seen in the past. And and it, I still think we'll see a volume of trades. I just don't know how many will class as headliners or, you know, hopefully we get a surprise or two. I think that, that that's usually the best case scenario. I'll tell you what I'm, I'm watching regardless. I don't have anything else to do. Watch James Duffy tap dance out there or what? Wow. If he, if he's doing that, then the ratings are going through the room. <laughs> nice. Love you, James Duffy. Well, okay, since uh, that's enough out of you with trade stuff, you know we got to save the juice for the next few days. How about Gary Bettman in Winnipeg, uh, the NHL commissioner, uh, making an appearance in that city? Uh, I believe someone had an interview yeah. with Mark Chipman a couple days ago. Do you know who that was? It was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know that. Um, some really interesting comments from from Bettman. Pretty positive about the situation in Winnipeg. One quote that I'll read for you here. I think there was a lot of speculation as to why I was here today. This is a place where hockey matters. I believe that this is a strong NHL market. I believe that ownership has made extraordinary commitments to the Jets, to this arena, and to the downtown area involving hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm not sure why people are speculating that somehow the NHL is not going to be here. So, yeah, positive, but also kind of interesting. It felt like there was a, a jab in there at the media speculation. Well, I mean, uh, but of course, that's uh, well, that's know. what we expect from the commissioner. I'll say it. Look, at if you take his quote at face value, he's totally right. Winnipeg is a great hockey market. It is a place where hockey matters. It's a place that they've proven they love their team. Um, all those things are true. That doesn't change the fact that you still have ownership you know, mentioning quite openly that they're, they're having struggles selling tickets and, and that, that, that could bring about challenges over the long term if it doesn't change. And so obviously I stand by my story. I mean, I quoted the owner of the team 
Um, I mean, yeah, to, a, a quite extensively in that piece, you know, but this is like, it's so funny. You want to, of course you want to be ahead on a story like that. Like that, I'm not going to lie that, that really worked out well on a personal level, but it, it's kind of weird when you're ahead of on a story like that, because then there's this whole wave of reaction that comes after it. Then you have Batman. It's like, he's like the second wave of reaction. You're like, are, are they all subtweeting the original story now? Are they trying to chip away at its validity? Um, you know, I think, I think Batman did the right thing though. Like there's no sense coming in there and issuing any threats, clearly that market. And, and I think understandably, I'm not saying this as a criticism is sensitive to anything that might be interpreted as a threat that the team could leave again. And nowhere in my story did I say that they could leave again. I really only said uh, it's pretty high up, but, but if, if this doesn't change, then we get to the position where you have to wonder if those conditions come into place, but there was no, there's no like timelines put in place. No, no suggestion in the next year or two or anything like that. Um, you know, I don't think that this is full out um, crisis or anything, but you're, you're probably one or two steps before the crisis if things don't change. So the good news is the jets have won on the ice since that was published a couple of games. Um, they're still in a great spot in the standings. And I think they still have a chance to, to have a, a nice playoff run or maybe even a really long playoff run. And, and, you know, if all those things tend to that the ticket sales tend to take care of themselves of the teams having that level of success. So, um, you know, we'll just have to see where it goes from there. But I, I thought the commissioner, you know, it was it's scary. Like, I don't take any of that personally. If that's what you're, I don't know if you're kind of getting at that or or what. No, okay. no, 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 no. I was not going. Well, it's funny. Like the big it's funny that I read the quote the way that I did, because the one part of the quote that's gone around a lot is the part where he says hockey matters and it's a strong nhl market the extra stuff about the speculation that hasn't been out there as much but i wasn't reading it to to suggest that you you have beef with with gary i, I wasn't no, trying no, to do no. that i was just trying to read the quote that, that we put up at the f1 this is all this is all the game right this is the whole game it's, it's the game this is this is it is these it are is. these are the playing rules if, if you step on the field with gary as a reporter you, you might get you know stepped on a little bit Oh, man, he likes geez. correcting. He, uh, he he hates narratives. He likes correcting things in a, in a way that suits his vision. I mean, I actually have come to appreciate the back and forth with, with Batman. Like I like those press conferences, but you know, I've grown up, he's been the commissioner my entire time as a reporter. So, you know, it's, it's a long, long, long time. And, and I appreciate it. Do we have any insight on how his talks with corporate sponsors went or or anything else to come with Winnipeg and the Jets? Not a whole lot, I, I, but I do think that that was an important part of the visit is, you know, the Jets are drawing from not only the smallest ticket buying fan base because they live in the smallest city, but they, they don't have the same corporate base as a lot of other places. And so I think it's important they look after their sponsors. I know they're really grateful for Canada Life, which recently is, you know, taken over the branding name of the arena. It's got a big building right beside a big corporate building right beside uh, where the jets play. And so, you know, it's, a, it's a chance I think for the NHL to show its appreciation for those, those people too, because, you know, this is uh the, the business of hockey is still, a lot of it is still on boots on the ground type of stuff, right? It's not all, it's a little different, different than the NFL or some of these other sports. And so I, I don't have any specific takeaways from that other than, you know, I think that it's something he does in every market. I saw Gary actually was in Columbus yesterday. I'm sure he's meeting sponsors there. I mean, that's that's part of what you do. I thought it was interesting, actually. One thing that's come out since my story is the Jets have even had a few players meet with former season ticket holders in addition to just Mark Chipman's calls. And so and Josh Morrissey spoke pretty eloquently on that. I mean, just shows to me the level that that they're 
taking it seriously, that they're trying to change maybe whatever didn't work in the past, that they're trying to show a level of humility in the community and that they're out there, they're hustling, man. They, they, I mean, the tickets don't sell themselves. I think we've learned that much, that that much is evident. And so I, I, I applaud them for those efforts. And I don't think many people had the Jets being where they are right now in the standings. Um, and I know producer Drew might disagree, but maybe they could even win the Central. It's not impossible. I mean, that it's one of Colorado, Dallas, or Winnipeg, I think, ends up on top of that division. So, um, you know, they've had they've had a really good year there on the ice, despite some of their off ice challenges. But producer Drew, uh, we still haven't had any of our producers actually hop into the show and we hear their disembodied voice. But producer Drew's a big fan of the chat feature that we use. And uh, he just wrote boo <laughs> at the suggestion of the Jets somehow being better than his beloved Colorado Avalanche. Um, I'm still wondering really about Landis Cobb. Before... Yeah. Well, what about Landis Cobb? I mean, we know he's if injured. we see him play in the playoffs, you know, I, I checked in on this a couple of days ago. It, it sounds like there's really no timeline, but you just, you have to know. I mean, he's back skating. He had very serious knee surgery um, last year in, in the spring. And it, it, the fact it hasn't been ruled out that he could return at some point in the playoffs is, is interesting. doesn't mean he's in, but it doesn't mean he's out. And, and you, you, you know, the way players are and, and, the unfortunate nature of the surgery he had is that everything can go great. And if he has like one setback, like it's, it's almost back to square one. So obviously they have to be very careful with him. He has to be careful. They've got a lot invested in the player. He hasn't played since they won the Stanley cup that night in Tampa, believe it or not. Um, yeah. But just bringing him back in, even if he's just kind of a, not him full, his full self after that kind of layoff, I, I think could be such a boost to a team that obviously has got, huge horses and and has the firepower to, 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 you know, win the Stanley cup again. Okay. Something to keep an eye out for, for the Colorado avalanche producer drew will love that tidbit. Any thoughts on the, uh, the PWHL, uh, what they announced yesterday, uh, their rules for the playoffs, uh, the top four teams, the regular season making it, but the first place team has a 24 hour window to select its semifinal opponent. That's for playoffs. And then for tanking, they're enacting, they're using the gold plan in which uh, the first overall pick will go to the team that gets the most points after being eliminated from playoff con- uh, contention. I love that they're they're trying different things, and I have no issue with either concept. I mean, the one thing about their gold plan, and this isn't their fault, but it's it's not as in a league where four out of the six teams make the playoffs. Really, what you're talking about is between the last two, the fifth and sixth place teams which which plays best down the stretch after being eliminated is going to get the first overall pick. So it's it's really only competition between two teams in a league that small. I think it'd be far more effective and fascinating in a league like the NHL where obviously half the teams don't qualify for the playoffs. And so I think it would really give those fan bases something to rally around. But that's the idea is it, it keeps the games mattering. It keeps the fans engaged in those markets. I mean, if you're a, you know, if you're a, fan of the sharks right now or the ducks or the blackhawks i mean you, what are you hoping for you're probably hoping for losses on some way because you're hoping for luck in the draft lottery and so you know if the league used that that kind of system i think it would be um would be interesting and then when it comes to picking your playoff opponent i love it i don't see the downside at all quite nope. frankly um i, I see that maybe a, a feelings could be hurt or it's bulletin board material but i think that's all great and i and i noticed your you're, you're colored on social media yesterday, Julian, about televising the, the selections. I mean, it would be a, a quick show for, 
for one team to pick its opponent, but it would be kind of cool if they did it live. I, I don't know how they intend to do that, but um, you know, basically you're picking between the third or fourth place team. Which one have you had more success about? Which, maybe which is better travel? What I mean, whatever it is, it, it just adds more spice right to that series before it's even a game's been played. Even if it's a short broadcast, just having the the a team representative there, maybe a player from that team there, just. I just think it would be a good way to put more names to faces when it comes to the league. I think that'd be a cool idea. It'd be awesome. It'd be awesome. So yeah, I, I applaud. I mean, I've been very supportive of the PWHL. I think that they've hit all the right notes in yes. their first year. I think that, you know, given that the league was kind of thrown together in a matter of months and, and it's gone as well as you could hope the the games have been competitive. And, and I think these are both like, I love that they have the power kill, <laughs> In fact, there was one last night, Ottawa scored a shorthanded goal in, in, in its game, and, and it means the player comes out of the penalty box. So, so you not only get the goal, but you, you stop having to kill a penalty. You know, all these are things that perhaps we'll see go into other professional leagues, men's or women's. I, I think that, that if you're going to launch a new league, it, it's a blank slate. So why wouldn't you try new things? And the beauty is if any of them don't hit right for whatever reason, you can adjust in year two or three or four. And I don't think anyone's going to be like, well, it's always been done this way. They're going to be like, yeah. We tried it and it didn't work. And so I think sometimes when you're a more established league, you're almost, you're, you're, you're locked into like a rigid way of thinking, a rigid way of doing things. Whereas one of the benefits of PWHL has is the teams don't even have nicknames yet. I mean, nothing's, nothing's sorted. The trophy they're competing for at the end of this season, it still doesn't have a name yet. And so, um, and as I don't say that as, I think that that can be a feature, not a bug. Like, I, I think that it gives them the ability to, to do what they need to do to, to try to make it the most compelling entertainment product possible, which is really at the end of the day, what they're trying to achieve. Well said. And I would think that everyone at the STPN is a fan of the PWHL at the very least on this show, uh, big fans of, of the league and still waiting on a, a franchise to pop up in uh, the city. I reside in now there's one. That's going to take a while. I love bud. a PWHL franchise. It's going to take a just while. Of, I just know of logistics but... and costs and things like that. It's yeah. not because Calgary would be a poor market. It's just, I think it, it's got to be kind of a regional league to start for it to make sense. Yeah, but uh, when I get back to Montreal, I mean, I don't know if I'll be able to be back by the time the season ends, but uh, I would still love to go to a game. Anyway, uh, stick taps before we wrap up today's episode of the CJ Show. Do you have one? You start. I have not <laughs> thought of one at all. Dog uh, ate my homework. Probably share this. Oh, no. no. Don't give me. How many times have you given that excuse in your life? Not much. I was a pretty, I was a diligent <laughs> student, believe it or not, back in the day. Yes, I believe that. Did you have a dog? Are you a pet person? I am. I haven't had a dog as an adult, but as a kid, we had a, a childhood dog for many, many years from like when I was in grade school right through to university. What was your, what was your dog's name? Tell us about your dog. Digger. Digger the dog. We got her from the pound. The reason she was called Digger is because when we got her, she had a scab on her nose because she had tried to dig out under the fence to escape the pound and got caught. And, uh, she was a pretty mangy dog when we got her, obviously had been astray. Um, but was a huge part of our family growing up and still pictures in my, in my dad's living room of digger. So, um, part of the family always. And yeah, I, I would, I just, the way my career has been and same, like I've traveled so much, I've just never had a chance. I lived in a condo for years where, you know, it's not as, not as conducive to owning pets. Um, and being away so much, I haven't had a chance to own a dog, but I, I could see a world in the future. I could see a future CJ getting a dog. I, I don't really appreciate cats if I'm being honest. Um, but I'd certainly get a dog down the road. If you got yourself a dog, 
would you allow the SDPN community to name it? Yes. Okay. But it's not happening next week or even next year. So no, but there's, there's in the distant future, maybe. Yeah. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. I'm down for that. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, stick to that. You're doing the first uh, one. I'll, I'll show some, I'll show some love to, to Helen Elliott, uh, who, uh, had her last day at the LA times Helene uh, Elliott. this week. Oh, Helene. Sorry. My bad. I just want to make sure we got uh, it I right. Apologize. <laughs> no, but, but, but I'm glad that we have that right. Helene Elliott, uh, 47 years in the business, 34 years at the LA times covering a whole bunch of different sports, obviously known the hockey community, uh, just wanted to pass along some stick taps to her on a great career. That would be my pick, CJ. Man, I better second that one. 47 years is quite a run. I don't know if you had a chance to read her farewell column. It was pretty heartbreaking. I did, actually. It was really Talking well Talking about done. her and her husband's plans uh, for retiring. And unfortunately, her husband died of a heart attack in the last year. And mm-hmm. she was planning to cover the Paris games. And she just basically said, you know, you make plans and uh, God laughs. So um, all the best, Aline. Spent a lot of time in press boxes with her around the league. And... Um, Hope retirement treats her well. I mean, 47 years is, is a long run. I can't even imagine retiring. Like I've sounds, I'm obviously not at the age where you would, but like you start to think about it. like part of your first part of your career, just like, I need a job and I need to establish myself. And then you're like how the decision to retire must be very difficult for a lot of people. Um, if you're able to do it versus being fired. Well, I don't know. Don't, isn't the whole thing in our, at least with millennials, it's like, oh, are we going to make enough money through the jobs that we do to retire? Like, I don't know. Is, is, is that what, is that what I have to, is that what I have to worry about? Teach? I don't know. I didn't know that was the whole thing for millennials, but. It might be more for people. Cause I'm at the younger end of the millennial generation. You're at the older right. end. Yeah. So I mean, maybe. but yeah, I'm just saying like, if you get to that age where you still kind of love it, but you see where the industry's going you maybe see that. You know, she mentioned in her column too, her decision to take a buyout from the LA Times resulted in another writer being able to keep his job. So, you know, you get into that situation, uh, pretty selfless decision because, man, this beats working for a living. I will say that. Yeah. It really does. Tell you that, man. And Helene embodied that and she's in the Hockey Hall of Fame and and the writer's division of that as well and covered tons of other sports. And I saw, got a lot of flowers out there in in the last week or two. All right. So uh, on behalf of CJ and myself, uh, we salute you, Helene Elliott, on a fantastic sports writing career. And uh, since we're sharing this, that means uh, we have just the one stick tap, which means that's going to do it for our Thursday edition of the CJ show. Well done, sir. Uh, hopefully you're able to get whatever rest you can get ahead of a busy final stretch ahead of the NHL trade deadline. I'm ready. I'm locked and loaded, focused. It's going to be a busy 10 days here, but I'm, I'm ready for it. All right, I'm ready for it too. Be sure to check out CJ's coverage at The Athletic, my coverage at The Athletic as well. Subscribe to our podcast. Subscribe to the SDPN YouTube channel. We'll be back on Monday, everybody. Peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK and McKenzie.